The Today's Homeowner Radio Podcast is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Today's Homeowner Radio. So glad you're with us. I'm Danny Lifford, along with my buddy Joe Truini, and a lot to cover this hour because you are at the right place for the most practical, realistic, most current home improvement information you'll find anywhere. This hour, we're going to talk about pocket door adjustments. Pocket doors can be a great space saver and a great way to get rid of that swing of the door, but they can be a little problematic. You have to keep them adjusted. We'll share some tips with you on that. Also, a very common question about insulating crawl spaces. There's a couple fundamentals you have to do or you'll have to redo it at some point. Also, some water drainage issues, emails. And Joe, what about that simple solution we can expect in just a bit? All right, Danny, I think a lot of people are probably finishing up outdoor projects and working on extension ladder. So I have a quick tip on how to work on an extension ladder to be as safe as possible. I always love safety tips because I have to think that, you know, if you can just put uh, those ideas in um, homeowners' minds that uh, maybe next time they grab that ladder instead of just run up the ladder real quick and go, okay, wait a minute, let me make sure this is positioned right and good and solid footing and so forth. So hopefully we can minimize some of those ER visits there because that yeah, can yeah, let's certainly do that. lead to it. But uh, as we always say, we would love for you to reach out to us. Send us an email anytime, todayshomeowner.com slash ask or the Today's Homeowner hotline. This is 24 hours a day, seven days a week is 800-946-4420. So get your questions in, any comments, any thoughts, anything that you would like to share with us. We're down to about 10 more Today's Homeowner radio shows, uh, and that'll wrap up the show for for us. So we're looking forward to wrapping it up at the end of the year and so glad that you're with us. And we're going to have a lot of fun. We're, we're not letting up on the pedal at all. We're going to go full speed right on through. We're going to drive right off the Cliff. Well, right off the to... cliff is what I we're planning <laughs> on doing. But but uh Joe, I'll tell you, you know, um people are you know keep asking me, you know, what I'm gonna do when I retire. Of course, I, I don't I don't think I'll ever feel any kind of retirement um um atmosphere or environment because I have so many projects. I mean, right now outside the I got guys putting in uh big hollies. I mean, some of these hollies oh, really? wow. are twelve feet tall. It's wow. I um, hope they're not they're not right next to your house, I hope. Unbelievable. Well, no, I'm I'm trying to provide a little more privacy, a little more screening. Is that along um, where the new house is being constructed? Yes, uh-huh, right oh, there, okay. right where the the new the new house is being built. Okay. Good, great folks moving in next door, getting some great neighbors, but I still uh want to have a little more sure. and that, that'll make it look nice. So I've got some hollies going there and camellias going there to create that. We're using a sod cutter to, you know, I'm recycling sod. Already? So, Cut. I know it. I know it. It's barely <laughs> you just rooted. Put it down, it feels like. <laughs> but we're getting all of that and putting it in some other areas. Actually, I'm storing Good. it. I'm kind of, um, I'm not, I planted it, uh, but right. I can pluck it out as I need it. So have a few of those. I'm still in an ongoing battle with Rocky Raccoon. 
And uh, really, yeah, he is. Uh, he thinks that I built that boathouse for him, and he's hanging out down there. <laughs> he's having too many raccoon parties. So, um, so I'm, I'm trying a few of the things like we've talked about before, and one that I'm trying right now, and I'll have What's to say, that? so far, it is working um, oh, for good. a nice, humane way of um, making them go to the neighbor's house, and that's um, using uh, cayenne pepper. Right. And um, hot sauce, a little bit of water, and I'm just spraying it all over because they actually have gone up into the roof of my boathouse into wow. my, my overhang area. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know I hit the bottom of it one time and boy, the hit the bottom of that with a stick and boy, you can yeah. hear those little scrambling all around. Yeah. There. So yeah. I sprayed the cayenne pepper up there solution. I sprayed it on the um, pilings coming down where they're climbing up there, sprayed right. it in a few, a few others. So, so far, no sign and, uh, we've gotten rid of it. So that might be a deterrent that works well yeah. for me because, you know, trapping them w with the live traps and so forth like that, boy, that is you still got to haul them away somewhere, right. and they're not real happy. They're no, not real happy. They're not it, real happy travelers there. They, and you don't want to capture a mother and then find up find out you're leaving behind exactly. a bunch of kids exactly. or whatever they call. And the only the only downside of the the only reason that the hot sauce and the cayenne might not work is if these raccoons came over from New Orleans. Because maybe that's what, maybe that's why they're there. They found then out they you will, had some hot sauce. That will draw them in more. Yeah, and then they'll they'll bring the the come on, ends, guys. the sausage over and <laughs> a few <laughs> crawfish. Yeah, yeah if that was the case, you wouldn't want to get rid of them. That's, yeah. that's weird, man. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is it is best to just get them to move on to another spice. Yeah, because yeah, there's plenty of woods around here for them and so forth. And also getting those raised beds ready for gardening. You know, I'm really interested more in gardening now than I have been in the past. You have more time, a little bit more well, time. Well, a little sure. more time, but but also just seeing how those raised beds have worked so well. I mean, it is truly unbelievable on four raised beds that are four foot by ten foot. Right. Um, how how much produce comes out of there from all kinds of? I mean, cantaloupe, cucumbers, wow. okra, jalapenos, um, uh, cabbage. Uh, uh, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. So we're uh, getting ready for some of the greens and some of the other things that you grow during the winter. Uh, don't the raccoons eat all that stuff? No. Um, I think they've gotten in there and gotten a, a cantaloupe or two. But, yeah. um, of course, she has netting that oh, she okay. instructs. She being my wife, sure. instructs me on how to place it on said fruit. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I know so many people have taken on gardening. Um, maybe COVID kind of spurred a lot of people on there. And so sure. it's bigger than it's ever been. And certainly gratifying when you're able to go out there. And that's a cool thing to do with the kids or the grandkids to oh, get yeah. the little, little harvest basket and the little clippers and go out. And uh, they're so excited when they fill that basket up with things that you can come right back in and start eating, you know. Yeah, so. and, and not only you're saving money because the cost of food and fruit in particular has gone way up. But, you know, sometimes you're in the mood for something. And it's like, oh, I don't have a whatever, a cantaloupe, and I got to run to the store and get it. But no, just walk out back. By the way, that that I've been to Danny's house a few times, and I know that these, these planting beds are near your driveway, and you had talked about pouring a concrete driveway. Did you do that? 
No, I hadn't poured the concrete driveway. That looks like that's going to roll over into spring. I I started thinking about all these other things that I uh, should probably go ahead and have complete because I don't want all of these landscaping guys and all of these people that are doing work on top of the brand new driveway. So get all of that taken care of. And and another thing I did, you know, I'm not a big fan of gutters. A lot of times if you can have the water that runs off your roof and it can safely move away from the house and doesn't cause any erosion, there's really no reason to have gutters. Some people just have it in their mind. I've had gutters my whole life. I'll have to have gutters. Well, you really don't. But in certain areas that maybe, you know, at entryways or maybe that the water's um, going down and causing damage on a particular thing. And that's what I found, again, at my boathouse, the water was coming off and going directly on the deck. And um, so just an area about five boards wide, I can't keep the stain on there. And I can tell that it's starting yeah. to deteriorate. So I got two sections of seamless gutters to put on the two sides where the wood would be affected and has been affected. No downspouts or anything, no end caps, nothing. And oh, the water just, just, runs just off. rolls right out uh, each end of it and everything. Well, you know what you built, of course, a water slide for the raccoons. A little water slide for the yeah. raccoons. It's they slowly have... becoming an all-inclusive resort. It's got a free cantaloupes. Yeah. A water I know. Park. I know. I'm, I'm going to get a, a wash tub <laughs> and make them up a little hot tub, I think. So <laughs> That's awful nice <laughs> with with cayenne pepper in it. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot of things like that. And I'll tell you what. Uh, through the course of the show, we're going to sprinkle in a few tips on um, planting trees because. A lot of people don't realize that right now is a fantastic time to go ahead and plant some of the trees you may want around the house and go ahead and get them established. But so many people do so many things wrong. There's so many misconceptions about that. So we've got the top six tips to help you plant that tree and give it the best chance to live. We're planting some palm trees out here, and it's so funny how everybody that plants palm trees or sells palm trees will tell you, I don't know why they feel like they need to tell you that a certain percentage of them will die. What do you mean? <laughs> well, give so, me the one that won't die then. I know, you yeah, know. give me the one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've heard I've heard 30% from some people. I've heard 10% Whoa. from others. And So do they replace them for free? What happens no, if 30% uh, of them die? That, that, I think that's why they tell you up front. It's kind of like, Whoa. don't. Don't come back. I'm telling you that now in case you want to buy an extra one. But, but you know, uh, they're, they're, hmm. they're pretty big and pretty hard to, to deal yeah. with. But you can see we have a lot to talk about on this week's show. We're certainly glad that you're spending some of your busy weekend with us. We're going to take a short break. And Joe and I will be right back with more Today's Homeowner Radio. Today's Homeowner is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Each week we try to say a special thanks to all of the wonderful radio stations all over the country that's airing the Today's Homeowner radio show, including this one in Lake City, Florida, WJZS 106.1 FM. Uh, Hello to everybody in that beautiful part of the world, and I hope that we can help you with any kind of challenge that you might be having around your house. Send us an email, todayshomeowner.com slash ask, or you can pick up the phone and call us anytime on the Today's Homeowner hotline, 800. 946 4420. That's what Debbie has done. She's on the line right now. Debbie, welcome to the show and tell us what's going on around your house. Thank you very much. Hello, Danny and Joe. Um, I've got a house that I bought uh, a few years ago. It's built in 1987 and it has four pocket doors. And the 
slides, which are on the pocket doors, um, the slotting was from uh, like up and down when they originally put it in. But the only ones I can find go to the left or to the right. And honestly, I have no idea what is the proper distance between the slide guide, I should say, and the door itself, because I've had some dragging going on, and I don't know if it's because of the settlement of the home over the years or floors being put in where, you know, it might have shifted the uh, the subfloor. Don't really know. Well, there's uh, a lot of those things that could be the case. Um, settling certainly could be, but probably the most common um, problem are the screws backing out of the track or where in some of the hardware. So that 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 sometimes that kind of makes it a little rickety and maybe make it uh, slump a little bit. But Joe, um, would you know a standard gapping on that? Because all pocket doors are have their own little nuances. But yes, what, what would you what would you say to Debbie on that? Yeah, Debbie. Well, I, I love pocket doors and I've installed six of them in my home. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of pocket doors or, you know, they're not, they're never in the way, whether they're open or true. closed, you know, I, I just love them. So yeah, Very they do true. take, yeah. Right. But they, they require a little bit of maintenance. Now, as far as the, the, they're called floor guides, these nylon or plastic guides, because the pocket is quite a bit wider, sometimes maybe a quarter inch or more wider than the door itself. So they have these guides that you screw into the jams at the very bottom and they slide in and out and they just sort of corral the door so it doesn't swing so much. Um, and as far as the spacing, I mean, an eighth of an inch on the either side is usually plenty. Okay. Um, you obviously okay. need enough space that it glides without hanging up. Right, um, right. But often, if you're having a little trouble with the doors, are these converging doors, by the way, meaning two doors that meet in the middle, no, or are they single no, doors? No, they're all single doors. Okay. But the problem I've run up against is that sometimes they drag, so it's kind of like, right. okay, what's supposed, you know, what's right? right. I don't are know. Dragging meaning the bottom of the door is dragging on the floor? It's dragging on the glide. Uh, on the glide. I'm sorry. Okay. Right, the glide. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's supposed to be at a certain distance so right. that it doesn't touch, but it does keep, you know, the door um, stable, if you right. will. Right, yeah. So you're right. It, it has to, it can't be touching the door, obviously, other than be sliding along the glide, and that mm -hmm. would eventually wear off the paint or whatever you have with the stain on the door. That I so, found out. Yeah, right. So an eighth inch is fine on either okay. side. And um, if the door is, is is coming down and if it's hitting the floor, then it's usually an adjustment on what they call the truck, which is the wheels that are hanging, that the door is screwed to, that's that in the, it's rolling in the track above. And those are that. adjustable. They come with a special wrench. And so that, like I found, I have to do that. I have to adjust them, you know, not often, maybe every eight years or so, but you do have to adjust those occasionally just from gravity, even if there's no settling in the house. And that's just a matter of taking the trim off to access those wheels, correct? Yeah, actually, one side of the of the casing, the head casing, the horizontal mm -hmm. casing goes is not supposed to be fastened in place permanently. Some I I cut them tight and they just slide in, but often they'll have two screws. You have to take take off the screws, pull it off, and that will expose the track and those trucks with the adjustable nut. I mean. The people who install these don't live there, so they sometimes just nail everything up, and then it's up to you to remove them. Um, but, yeah, those are yeah. supposed to be accessible. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll certainly take a look at that, and I appreciate y'all's time. And, of course. And, you know, thank you for giving me that insight because I honestly didn't know which what was right. Yeah, and if you need to buy new guides, if you just go to Amazon and type in pocket door guide, 
Um, you have to put in pocket door because they have guides for um, barn doors and other sliding doors. So you make sure you put in pocket door. Johnson Hardware is the largest manufacturer of these. Oh, okay. Well, I certainly appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful day. Okay, you, you as well, Davey. Have a good weekend. Right. Thank you so uh -huh. much. Bye-bye. I'll tell you, the last pocket door I installed, Johnson came up with a new system that's much better than this door guide. Because these door guides, as Debbie learned, are problematic. They have one that it screws to the floor inside the pocket, and it sticks up like a little fin. And you cut oh, a slot. Yeah. You cut a uh -huh. slot in the yeah. bottom yeah. of the door. I've seen that, yeah. And this way, the door it has this fin sort of in that slot, and it can't. It's always on track. Mm -hmm. Well, this time of the year is probably the perfect time of the year to consider planting some new trees in your yard. But I'll tell you, you're going to spend time, you're going to spend money, so you want to do it right. We have six tips for you we're going to share with you um, over the next few minutes. Joe, um, how about sharing those first couple tips uh, for everybody? Okay, the very first mistake most people make is they dig the hole too deep which you should never do. Um, so what you want to do is, as soon, soon as you get the tree, you want to excavate only enough soil to expose the root flare. And the root flare is at the top of the root ball, right? So the tree has this root ball, is where the trunk starts to spread out into the individual roots. It kind of flares out, which is why they call it a root flare. So you measure the height of the root ball from the ground to the top of the exposed root flare, and then, and this is the important part, subtract two inches. And that is how deep you need to dig the hole. Hmm. If you bury that root flare, you're, you're compromising the health of the tree. So that's the first one, the most important one. Mm -hmm. Number two, spread a plastic tarp next to the hole as you're digging a hole and shovel the dirt onto the tarp, not directly onto the grass. This makes it much easier to get the dirt back into the hole after you put the, the tree in. Um, and, and after you dig down to the proper depth, as we discovered, as we mentioned by measuring the root ball, then you want to dust a hole with a little superphosphate, which will help promote a healthy root system, just a little dusting, and, and then you can set the tree in the hole. So those are the first two most important ones. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's so gratifying when you go out and, uh, you know, if you go to a like a tree farm or a large place that has a lot of trees, really make sure you're asking those people a lot of questions. You want, you know, wherever you're positioned in your yard, you need to know how much sun it's going to have. You need to know, you know, how, how well you're going to be able to provide it water for it to grow. Right. Yeah. And, and also um, the soil test, we just uh, uh, gathered up um, from our, um, even though our raised beds have been doing very, very well, we still wanted to see what kind of pH level we had. So we gathered soil samples and all of that. Well worth it if you're going to invest in a tree or a number of trees is to take a soil sample and see what's needed. And, and then make sure that you check on what type of ideal pH level you need for those particular trees because that can change a little bit, you know, depending on what you're planting there. But if you start out with that pH right and you follow some of these tips, uh, that's like your biggest chance of success for that tree. Right. And when you're planting a tree, you only get one shot at, you know, testing the soil before you put the tree in. It's not like, like a flower garden or a vegetable garden, which you should test it every year just to see where you're at. I mean, once a tree is in place, that's it, you know? So, uh, um, and, and also it really makes sense to buy a tree locally that's grown locally and sold locally. And they can tell you for sure, because they would know that, a particular species is not working in, in or around your neighborhood, you know, they won't sell you that tree because they don't want it obviously dying and you coming back. Well, you know what I think I'm going to do? I have uh, this hedge that we're basically planting right now right. is uh, 150 feet long. Wow. So um, after the show, I'm buying um, three 50-foot soaker hoses. 
And as soon as it's planted, I'm just going to put it right down at the base of that, put me a little timer on it. Not forever because I have an irrigation system. But, you know, when you're when you have an established irrigation system and you do a lot of new planting, boy, you really have to look carefully because that water may not be going where you (laughs) want it to go. um, Or and it may even um, damage some of the plants, depending on, you know, how it's done. Or it might be watering half of the new plants, not the other half. Exactly. So I want to make sure they get some to the roots. But we have four more of those great tips on uh, the the right way to plant a tree um, as we move along on this week's show. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about insulating crawl spaces, things you need to know. You're listening to today's Home on the Radio. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Pavestone, creating beautiful landscapes, and by Quickrete Cement and Concrete Products. It's what America's made of. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show, where it's time for our best new product segment brought to you by the Home Depot, How Doers Get More Done. Now, if you're an active DIYer, you're bound to have made plenty of messes. So how do you clean them up? Well, a friend of mine recommend using baby wipes because they're, you know, they're pre-moistened, disposable, easy to get. But baby wipes are not designed for heavy scrubbing. They fall apart really quickly. That's where the crocodile cloth comes in handy. Think baby wipes on steroids. These wipes feature a unique design, much like the crocodile skin, that can withstand intense scrubbing without tearing. Plus, they're supersized at 15 by 10 inches, so you can tackle even the biggest jobs. They're alcohol-free and infused with aloe, so they're safe on skin and can be used on a variety of surfaces. So, to check out Crocodile Cloth, log on to homedepot.com. That's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, all jobs aren't finished until they're all cleaned up. And uh, a lot of times, you know, it does require a little bit of intense cleaning. So that sounds like a pretty good thing to have in the toolbox or have around your shop there. So, hey, let's go back to the Today's Homeowner Hotline. You can reach out to us anytime, 800-946-4420. That's what Mac from California has done. Mac, welcome to the show. And tell us what's going on around your house. Uh, Yes, uh, I have a a crawl space, probably about uh, two feet high underneath the house, and uh, I have uh, girders every uh, four by six, every six feet wide. So how do you insulate that? What's the best way to insulate? Because we get a lot of coal from uh, the crawl space. Okay. So um, the four by sixes that you have in there, the girders or the beams that you have, Uh on top of that, uh, do you have like two by eights, two by sixes, something like that as as two joists? Six. Okay, yeah, two by sixes flat. Flat. And then you know you finish on top. And what are the spacings of those two by sixes? Uh the two by six actually they're just like planks. They they lay down flat. So on that's top of the floor. that's a subfloor. The two by six. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So so what you're calling girders are essentially what would be like joists, like floor joists that are no. six. Six feet on center? They're four by sixes, and right. they have supports every, uh, you know, uh, the right. concrete piece every six feet. So oh, the okay. space the space between them is probably about six feet wide. So you can't put regular insulation in there because, you know, it's too wide. Yeah, you'd have to run it perpendicular to the joists or beams or girders or whatever you're calling them. Right, right. 
Well, um, well, first thing I think about is to use foam sheeting. That's not the cheapest thing around, but, you know, you can get foam sections uh, two inches, three inches, four inches, and cut those tight. You can glue uh, with a construction adhesive. You can, um, and they also have foam sheet adhesive that you can use in a caulk tube to basically just glue them upside down. Now, you might have to have some little stay wires here and there just to reinforce that, especially until the the, um, adhesive dries. But but doing that will make a big difference. Now, do you have any plastic laying on the ground underneath your house? No, no, it's uh, it's dirt and, and it's a bunch of concrete debris under there. You know, I these see. are concrete uh-huh. cutting uh, cutting host houses. You know, they're all built the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you were to put plastic down, you have so much concrete debris from you know from when they first built a house back in '64 that it would actually puncture. You right. know. So this is loose. This is loose debris. The concrete's like spilled out from the yeah. the foundation. Yeah, I would recommend, and I think Danny might be thinking along the same same train of thought. Is I, I would remove if you could possibly remove that concrete debris, break it up, just get it. It'd be a pain in the neck, but get it out of there, smooth uh-huh. out the dirt, and put down plastic because that is going to be, you know, because you can have all that moisture coming straight up into your floor and your, you know. So I I think it's most important to get that ground covered up. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a job you want to hire out. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, really. Because you know we have a uh, uh, the opening, t- you know, uh, to to the underneath. It's like uh, I think two by two. Right. You know. I guess the other option would be to go in there with a shovel and just try to bury it. If you can dig in the dirt and just bury all that, I don't know how much concrete it is, but yeah, if you right. can somehow get the plastic down, obviously you're right. If it starts getting torn up by the concrete, then it's not going to serve right. its purpose. And, and Mac, the uh, another option would be using a um, spray in foam that you can mm-hmm. spray in the foam and it'll, uh, you know, fill those voids. Those guys are pretty experienced at putting a nice uniform amount in there. That's another mm-hmm. alternative if they have access underneath the house. Right, right. So well, what, would, well, what would be your choice? Um, I think the foam sheet seem seem pretty easy to do. You could kind of do a little shopping around and get those pretty reasonable. Then it's just a matter of measuring the different um, spaces, uh, cut it, and then just put it right in place with the adhesive and maybe a few little right. stay wires just to get them to hold. But uh, that'll prevent, I mean, that'll provide you a great R value, a moisture barrier. It won't deteriorate with any moisture that you might have under the house. And it just right. seems like a more long range uh, way of going without spending as much money. The foam, the spray in foam would be fairly expensive. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Uh, that's the best answer I got, you know, because uh, I know uh, during, you know, we're in California, we don't get, it, it gets cold, but, you know, cold to us is uh, 60 degrees. Right, <laughs> <Yeah. nice>. right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, but okay, well, yeah, let, let, let me let me do that. I think the foam then it will be the way, because like I said, it's uh-huh. insulation. Spray insulation, you know, and I'm an old fogey now, so it's not like I can. <laughs> there you go. You can get you get you some good young young guys under there that are flexible and and bulletproof, yeah. and get them under there and <laughs> and take care of it. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Thank you very much for uh, helping me out. I really appreciate it. You guys. You're welcome, Mac. Our pleasure, Mac. You take care and have a great weekend. You thank too. you.
you, you know, it's one of those things when we're talking about crawl space like that. It's kind of, you know, mysterious area around the house. And as Joe mentioned, and we certainly always emphasize, uh, without a doubt, any house that's up on piers should have plastic. It can be just clear six mil plastic laying right on the ground. You don't have to caulk around it. You don't have to do anything but put that plastic down, make it nice and flat, cover up as much as you can. That right there will make such a significant difference if you currently have moisture under the house that's migrating up through to the house and many houses do. So that's a big part of it. And if you install insulation with craft facing on it, with paper facing on it, that is to be turned up toward the heated and cooled area. A lot of times people will do it opposite. It's just not as effective and can cause a moisture trap. Hey, we're going to take a short break here on today's homeowner. When we come back, we're going to talk about a very easy way to completely transform your kitchen countertop for only about $200. You're listening to today's homeowner radio. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Wizard Screen Solutions. Find out more at wizardscreens.com. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. Danny Lipford here along with my buddy Joe Truini. And I want to get right into some of the emails we've received recently. You can send us one at todayshomeowner.com slash ask. This is from Stephen in Texas. It says, we're doing a kitchen makeover on a house we just bought. My wife wants granite countertops, but they are not in the budget. So I've seen a lot of faux painting kits that look like granite, but neither of us has an artistic bone in our body. So <laughs> I don't know if it would really turn out that well. So are there any options to consider? Stephen, I can understand that. I'm not really an artist either, but there is a great solution to your problem that I've used a number of times. It's not paint. It's actually a system of several coatings that contain a blend of real stone that produces the metallic highlights that you see in slabs of granite. It's called the Luxrock Solid Surface Granite Countertop Kit from our friends at Deitch Coatings. First, you apply a primer to the existing surface, followed by a couple coats of stone coating. This material is applied with common painting tools that come in the kit, so no artistic talent is required. Just a smooth, even coating. Once it's dry, you lightly sand the surface to bring out those metallic highlights I mentioned, and a clear coat of epoxy protects the finish next while it adds depth and smoothness to the surface. Finally, after a little wet sanding with 400 grit sandpaper, the countertop gets one last clear coat. Takes a little time and a little elbow grease, but no art degree, and it's way less than slabs of granite. Find out more by going over to DeitchCoding.com. That's D-A-I-C-H Coding.com. Right now, we're going to go to the Today's Homeowner Hotline and visit with Sylvia in Virginia. Sylvia, welcome to the show, and tell us what's going on around your house. Good morning. Um, my issue, uh, I bought a piece of property down in the mountains of Virginia at the foot of a mountain. And there's a natural spring behind it that's been in use for many years until the town laid the water lines in the, that area of the country. Mm-hmm. And now um, it's kind of gotten out of control. And I hired an excavator to come in and, and push the mountain back a little bit and build a and put a retainer wall in there. It's quite an expensive project. But uh, what he did... He elevated the ground, and I sent a couple of pictures, one of many pictures, but a couple of pictures to you showing you how he had uh, 
create a situation where the water drains to the house, mm. which uh, seeps under the house and has created a wet condition in a in a basement, which has the furnace, but um, it stays wet all the time. Well, well, certainly the water should be running away from the house. That goes without saying. And, uh, of course, in a rock situation like that and uh, the structure that you have around the house might make that fairly difficult. So what you really probably need to do, first of all, it's really hard to dictate it and say exactly what needs to be done without really walking and really looking at it closely. But in most cases like this, certainly a landscape contractor that is very experienced in drainage. You'll find one in your area, I'm sure, because uh, it's a very common problem that people have with the slope of yards moving water toward the house. Now, what he might mention is what's called a channel drain that um, could be six inches wide and six or eight inches deep. And essentially, when that water and that's uh, installed flush with the ground right around the perimeter of the affected area of your home, which I think you said in the rear of the home. And that way, that water, when it comes towards the house, will go in the trench drain and then it'll flow right onto a line that you can route underground to a safe area in the front of the house to allow it to flow out. That just prevents the water from getting to the house and therefore should protect it, um, keep it from entering into the basement. That would probably be the easiest and least expensive way of doing it without having to go back and doing a lot of contouring and excavating outside the house. Uh, now, what is this pipe going to be made of? What kind of pipe am I going to drain this away from the house? It's it's usually aluminum or most commonly vinyl, uh, a vinyl plastic. It's just a little U-shaped trench drain. You can go to uh, landscape supply places. Even Home Depot is starting to carry a lot of this type of drainage material. Uh, and if you have concrete up against the house like that, it's going to require some cutting with a saw and maybe a little bit of jackhammer work to remove it. But you basically are just allowing this drain to uh, to move the water that's moving towards the house, it'll drop in the drain, go to the end where you have a pipe leading to the front of the house. Okay. Are you spelling that T-R-E-N-C-H or F-R-E-N-C-H? Trench, not French. Trench. Okay. T-R, right. French drain wouldn't be suggested here uh, because it just wouldn't move the water as fast as you need it to. I hope we've been able to point you in the right direction um, and get that uh, professional out there to be able to really route that water because you definitely don't want that water in your basement. Hey, you're listening to today's Home Water Radio. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Today's Homeowner is brought to you by Duck Brand Weatherization Products. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. Well, you've waited for it, and now's the time. It's time for our simple solution. Joe, what do you have for us? All right, Danny, we were talking earlier about using extension ladders, how to be safe and efficient. And one way is to make sure your hands are free when you're on top of a ladder, um, that you feel secure because you can hold on to the ladder. You don't have your arms full of tools. So here's a simple way to keep your hands free and the materials you're working with close by. You want to get a three-quarter inch or one-inch diameter wooden dowel and cut it about 32 inches long. Then use a small handsaw to cut a shallow V-notch into each end, about two inches from the end, 
of the dowel, right? So you have this long dowel with two little notches, about two inches in from each end. Now, when you, you can slide the dowel through one of the ladder's hollow rungs, right? Because aluminum extension ladders, fiberglass ones, the, the rungs are hollow. You slide this dowel through. And now, and you can adjust it to wherever you're standing. So you can put it in the rung that's closest. And now you can use each end of the dowel to hang a bucket for holding tools or supplies, a paint can, anything like that. Um, and the V-notch is just to keep things from sliding off. Um, so that, that, that's a really simple way to enhance the use of your extension ladder. And if you think about it, there's a lot of different ways you could use that simple solution, cleaning gutters, painting, That's right, pressure yeah. washing, a lot of things. You always have something, and having both your hands available on the ladder is extremely important for safety. Hey, right now, I want to uh, finish up on the top six tips for planting trees. We've already covered two. Joe, cover the rest of them for us. All right. This has to do with once you, you get the tree and, and you put it in the hole, stand back and have a helper rotate the tree. You stand back and look at the tree. Each tree has what they call the best face. It has a face, which is essentially the best looking side of the tree. You want to rotate that toward the most prominent direction, typically toward the street, but you know where most people are going to see this tree. So once you drop it in a hole, rotate it around till you find that face. And then most of these, most trees come in a wire basket around the root ball. So you want to use bolt cutters, cut that off, and if there's any twine or burlap, remove that as well. But then the next step, which is really important and most people forget to do, is take a cultivator, a little two-tine or three-tine cultivator, hand cultivator, and scratch the root ball. What you want to do is loosen up all those ex and expose all those tiny roots. This gives the tree a little bit of a head start to uh, start growing healthily because otherwise they're packed in too tightly. And then you want to, as I mentioned earlier, you want to spread some superphosphate and also 343 fertilizer into the soil pile that you that's on the side of the mm -hmm. hole. Mm -hmm. Mix that in and then shovel start shoveling that into the hole. Again, being careful uh, not to bury the root flare where the roots at the top of the root ball, the very, very top of the root ball should be exposed. Um, and then once the the hole is full, use the blade of a shovel to form a six inch high curb of soil around the tree. And that's just gonna hold, and then you wanna water it. And that little curb will just help hold the water in place as you're, when you first start watering it. Kind of a berm. Little a little berm, berm right. Uh -huh. And then you want to add mulch, but spread only three inches of, of bark mulch over the exposed dirt, but keep it away from the tree trunk. I can't tell you how many times I've seen like a foot of, of bark mulch piled up against a tree. You should never, ever do this. All you need is three inches. Then finally, it's really important to continuously water these trees. And the easiest way is use a drip irrigation bag. And you can use one or two bags. And if you're not seeing these, they're basically just green plastic bags and have teeny tiny holes on the bottom. You fill them with a garden hose and you just tie them to the trunk and they just slowly drain water. And so that's an easy way because you're supposed to water the tree every day for six weeks. So this is a good way to do that. And also, you know, using some timers will help you if you, you know, can't remember all of that. But that is important. If you spend that time and money on planting a few trees, you want them to flourish. Joe, thanks so much for sharing those tips with us. Yeah, Dan, I just want to mention, I'm going to type up this list and I'll send it to our producer and we'll um, we'll post it on the radio webpage. Good, good. Yeah, you can go to todayshomeowner.com to be able to read each one of those tips. Well, that wraps up the first hour of Today's Homeowner Radio. Danny Lifford, along with my buddy Joe Truini, thanks so much for spending some of your busy weekend during this hour of Today's Homeowner Radio. 